Good morning. Good morning. This is different, right? You know, matter of fact, I have to apologize to some of you. If you saw my Instagram post that I put up uh, online about 15 minutes before the service, I promised you lights and heat and hot coffee, and we have none of that. And so I apologize, uh, sir, you know, right after. Oh, we do have hot coffee. Well, praise the Lord. I'm, I'm one for three, though. So it's still not great, but uh, if you came for the lights, you're out of luck, but I'm glad you're here uh, because today we are starting a new series on spiritual disciplines. Uh, about six months ago, uh, I came to a sort of fork in the road in my life where uh, in a season of seeking the Lord, he opened my eyes to something that I hadn't seen yet. Um, one of my, my deepest desires of my own heart um, is that I would grow old uh, with my wife. Uh, that we would raise our family to know and love the Lord and to see them grow up and start their own families of little disciple makers. Uh, and so that's one of my, my deepest desires is, to, is to, to grow old with my family and really just be around for the long haul. Uh, about six months ago, uh, I came to a sort of fork in the road uh, because I realized that my current lifestyle did not match the goal that I had and it wasn't doing me any favors. Uh, I, I remember having just kind of an epiphany in front of the mirror where it's like, I kind of looked at myself and then I looked down and I could barely see my toes and I was like, oh no, something's wrong. What happened? And so uh, naturally, just to give you a little personal context to me, uh, I am a night owl. Night, and I'm not talking 10, 11 o'clock. I'm talking two or three in the morning, uh, binge watching Netflix and eating pizza by myself. Like that's my natural bent. Uh, like me on my own, left to my own devices, my natural, what I'm, I'm going to call a drift, is towards not taking care of myself, but, but rather it's towards laziness and selfishness and self-indulgence. And, and what God did about six months ago is he, he opened my eyes to see that my current lifestyle did not match what I wanted ultimately in life. Uh, and it wasn't going to do me any favors in getting there. Uh, so as of yesterday, uh, for the past 167 days, uh, I have forced myself to go to bed early, which early for me is like 9 or 10, so pray to God, he's, he's working on me. Uh, I have eaten healthier, uh, I have been going to the gym every single day, exercising for, for an hour or two, uh, and I've just made all of these kind of drastic lifestyle changes because I, I want my life to match the goal that I am striving for. And in the past 167 days, I've felt the results. I, I have felt healthier. I feel more clarity. Uh, my family, my marriage is growing stronger. My family unit as a whole is getting healthier. And it's all because I stopped giving in to my natural drift and started living a disciplined life instead. Amen. All of this happened because I stopped letting myself drift towards the natural bent of my body. Has it been fun? No. <laughs> Has it been easy? No. Like, I'll tell you, these have been some of the hardest changes I've ever had to make. Because uh, if you think about it, I am fighting an uphill battle against myself, against my own desires, against the, the desires of my flesh to stay up late. It's just naturally what I do. So this has taken a lot of discipline, a lot of habit, a lot of force. And six months in, my body still doesn't like to wake up at 5.30. I have to set five alarms at 5.30 and 5.32 and 5.00. And my wife will attest to this because it drives her crazy. And so uh, it's not natural to me still, but it's getting there. 
And these changes that I've made have resulted in growth in essentially every area of my life. And again, I attest it to not letting myself drift and instead choosing a life of discipline. And if you want to grow, not in your physical, personal life, but in your spiritual life, the principle remains the same. It requires discipline, not drifting. As Christians, so I have my goal, like my personal goal in my home is to be around for the long haul, uh, to grow old with the wife of my youth, uh, to see Reagan grow up and walk her down the aisle someday and see her start her own family. That's my personal goal in my family life. Uh, but for us as Christians as a whole, God has marked out for us a very clear goal for us as his people. And it's found in two different places in the scripture. Leviticus chapter 11, verse 44, and 1 Peter 1, 16. And it says this, Be holy as I am holy. That's the mark. Or if we can make it more gospel-centric for us New Testament Christians, be more like Jesus. That is the goal. That is the mark. That is the upwards call in our lives is that we would become a people that are more like Jesus on a daily basis. The Bible describes it as being transformed from one degree of glory to the next. And here's the secret to holiness. No one drifts towards it. No one drifts towards holiness. No one becomes more like Jesus by accident or by laziness or by taking a backseat. And yet I see so many Christians who treat their own holiness like it's a lazy river at a water park. You know, you get your floaty tube and you just kind of sit back and you get the shades on and you close your eyes and you just kind of drift for a while and eventually you wake up and you're somewhere else. But I'm here to tell you this morning that's not how holiness works. If you're going to strive for the upward call of being holy as God is holy, it is not a lazy river where we somehow make it there with no effort on our own part. Because the reality for you and I is that the only direction that we actually drift effortlessly is away from God, not towards Him. We, we drift towards our sin. We drift towards laziness. We, we drift towards uh, uh, our, our natural bent and our, the desires of the flesh. Nobody drifts towards holiness. And if you desire to be holy as God is holy, it requires a fight. It, it requires some grit and, dare I say, some discipline. Because it is through the daily striving in and towards the person of Jesus Christ, that God transforms us from that degree of glory to the next. Holiness is not a lazy river, friends. It is walking upstream through whitewater rapids. It's not easy. And this is why our anchor verse for the series is 1 Corinthians 9.25. It says, all athletes are disciplined in their training. They do it to win a prize that will fade away, but we do it for an eternal prize. And so here's why we're getting into a series on spiritual disciplines. It is because spiritual disciplines are your God-given weapons of warfare in your fight to be holy. And if you don't use them, you will not drift towards holiness. You will drift away from it. So if you can start seeing yourself, hopefully this morning, 
as an athlete in a race for holiness rather than a water park visitor in a lazy river, you will be able to take up these weapons of spiritual disciplines and find some real growth in Christ. And today uh, we'll talk, be talking about the spiritual discipline of fasting, which I know is just everybody's favorite topic. Right? I know that when you walked in here, you were thinking, man, I hope Pastor Jesse is talking about fasting today. That's what really revved you up today. I know one person was, was thinking about that. But uh, for, for the rest of you normal people, that's probably not what was on your mind, probably not what you wanted to hear about uh, today. But nevertheless, it is so important for us to, to have a right understanding of fasting, not to just understand it, but to discipline ourselves to do it. So turn in your Bibles with me to Matthew chapter 9. We'll be in verses 14 through 17. Now, um, fasting on its face, uh, just a simple definition, is abstaining from food for a period of time. Uh, and it's not a specifically Christian practice. Di uh, fasting has been used uh, in all parts of the world for all sorts of reasons. If you think about uh, for religious reasons and religious piety, uh, think about Islam. During the season of Ramadan, every real Muslim will fast. Every single, you really can't call yourself a Muslim if you do not fast during the season of Ramadan. Uh, people do it for political reasons. If you think about uh, Mahatma Gandhi, uh, who would go on hunger strikes to bring about social and political change. And then there's people that just do it for health reasons. They do it for dietary reasons, and they restrict themselves from eating food for a time. So my point here is that fasting is not distinctly Christian. But the reason for Christian fasting is distinctively different. And we need to pick up on that today. Fasting for you and I is not a mundane religious requirement. It is not a diet for health reasons. And it is not a hunger strike to somehow force God's hand to do what we want. It is something far greater. And in fact, that's what he talks about in verse 16 and 17 of our passage, but let's read it anyways. Starting in verse 14. Then the disciples of John came to him saying, Why do we and the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? And Jesus said to them, Can the wedding guests mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast. No one puts a piece of untrung cloth on an old garment, for the patch tears away from the garment, and a worse tear is made. Neither is new wine put into old wineskins. If it is, the skins burst, and the wine is spilled, and the skins are destroyed. But new wine is put into fresh wineskins, and so both are preserved. And so Jesus says there in verses 16 and 17, uh, he doesn't say that Christians will not fast. He says that there will be a new kind of fasting. And this is what he talks about in verses 14 and 15. And so uh, here's the scene. They're the Pharisees and John the Baptist disciples who, by the way, they're not buddies, but they're kind of coming together on this. Uh, and they have a common concern with Jesus and his disciples. And their concern is this. On Mondays and Thursdays, we fast. We deny ourselves what our bodies want, and we devote ourselves to prayer. Why don't your disciples? And in fact, uh, the disciples of Jesus were oftentimes considered uh, drunkards and gluttons because they were, if you think about it in a 21st century kind of way, they were kind of party animals. They were always with people, feasting and enjoying life with one another. Jesus was sitting with sinners and tax collectors and having parties with them and breaking bread and fellowshipping with them. And this just kind of blew their minds because this is not what they had known. And so their question is, 
not only why don't you fast like us, but why don't you fast like our nation has always done? Like they were breaking tradition all over the place. And it, and it was cause for concern. We see in the Old Testament uh, that there is fasting splattered all over the place. You, you can uh, find fasting in many, many stories where people fast and pray and fast and weep and, and they fast and seek God and fast and ask for mercy. And so to be fair to the disciples of John the Baptist, they have a good question. They have what I would consider, it's a fair question. Because it's not just, why don't you fast like us? It's like, Jesus, we believe that you're the Messiah. You're the fulfillment of the law and the prophets. So why don't you do what the law and the prophets talk about? I mean, look, look at the Old Testament in fasting. Ezra, the prophet, fasted and prayed and wept over the sin of Israel looking for mercy. Esther fasted and prayed and delivered the nation of Israel from genocide. Moses fasted and he was given the Ten Commandments. David, as his firstborn child was dying, fasted and wept and prayed for him. The whole city of Nineveh, if you think about the story of Jonah, all of them put on sackcloth and put ashes on their heads and they wept and they fasted and they prayed to God for mercy over their sin. So it's all over the Old Testament. You'd be hard-pressed not to find fasting. And so their question is fair. It's, why don't you do what the law and the prophets say? Why don't you do what traditionally every Jew has done? Why don't your disciples do what we do? And what Jesus says in verse 16 and 17 is that we, his disciples, will not have no fasting, but we will rather have new fasting, not born out of emptiness or lack or need, but out of our fullness. In verse 15, Jesus begins to answer their question directly. And Jesus said to them, Can the wedding guests mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast. So to the question of fasting specifically, why don't they do it? Well, first Jesus kind of introduces himself. He says, Nobody fasts when it's time to feast. The bridegroom is here. In the Old Testament, the bridegroom, when speaking especially in prophetic books of the Bible, the bridegroom refers to God. So he is identifying himself with God, that he is the bridegroom, that the people are his bride. And, and so his response to them of why don't your disciples fast is this. Why would they? I am here. You don't long for what you already have. And then he adds this, but they will fast. So there is an expectation in scripture that the people of God will fast. So if you are part of the people of God, if you're a part of the church, there is an expectation upon you, not a commandment, but an expectation that we will be people that fast. When? When the bridegroom is taken away from them. So I don't want you to miss this this morning, that Jesus roots the idea of fasting with his presence. He connects it directly. Look at what he says. They will feast in his presence, and they will fast in his absence. So whether they fast or not is directly connected to whether or not Jesus is present with them. Right now, yes, we have the Spirit. But Jesus is away. 
And this is what Paul says. He, he had the spirit too. And yet he said, it is better for me to stay here, although I long to depart and be with the Lord. Why? Because he is elsewhere right now. So when is the time to fast, church? Now. Because Christ is away. So what is the underlying reason for Christian fasting? A hunger for the presence of God. So why do we fast, church? It is because we are hungry for the presence of God. It is an expression of our longing for Jesus, who is our greatest need. We walk through life and fail to recognize that it is not food, it is not drink, it is not play that is our greatest need. Our greatest need is the presence of the Almighty God. For the Christian, and if you're sitting in here and you don't know the Lord, the fact remains the same, is that you were made to be in the presence of God. It is where the deepest longings in your soul come from. It is because you were designed to be with God. Heck, it's the whole story of the Bible. Is God trying to get back to us and bring us back to him? I mean, God walks with Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. He walks with Moses and Abraham. Uh, he becomes incarnate in the person of Jesus and walks with us and dies for us. And in the Garden of Revelation, what does it say? That God will be with his people. The whole story of the Bible is God bringing people to himself where the fullness of joy is. You and I were made to be in the presence of God, and this is why we fast, is because the Lord is away, and we long for his presence. To fast is to say, God, I need you, and to say it with your stomach. It is saying from time to time, my greatest desire is not Food, my greatest desire is not drink, my greatest desire is not my cell phone, my greatest desire is not sex, my greatest desire is not Netflix, my greatest desire is you, and only when I have you will I be made full. So I will deny myself the desires of my flesh and my eyes so that I can have more of you, Lord. Big idea today, fasting is feasting on the presence of Christ. So it's, it's not that we stop eating, it's that we start eating something else. We start feasting on the bread of life, which the bread on your counter is just a picture of, it's just an emblem. And when we fast, we are saying, I prefer the reality to the picture. Bread is good, but the bread of life is better. And what fasting will do, as you abstain from food for a period of time, is it will empty your body, but recenter your soul around, the, around loving the God who loved you first. And it acts as a catalyst that pushes you deeper into his presence. And so going back to the idea of holiness, you can't be like Jesus if you don't spend time with Jesus. To fast and pray, which by the way, fasting and prayer are always connected in scripture, or, or fasting and scripture are connected Fasting is a practice of his presence. It is seeking him, not just knowing about him and not doing stuff for him. It is about practicing the presence of God 
in real space and time. It is in his presence that he transforms us from one degree of glory to the next. So if you want to be made holy, if you want to be more like Jesus, you have to spend time with him. It doesn't happen apart from his presence. And fasting is one of the several tools that God has given us, one of the weapons that we use to fight to get into his presence. But if we can be honest, if, if fasting is a hunger for God, we don't always feel like doing that. Do, I mean, if we're being honest with ourselves, do we always feel like we our deepest need is God? No. And we prioritize and we love and we delight in all of these things that are not God. So you may be asking yourself right now, like, okay, I'm, I'm a Christian. I follow Jesus. I love Jesus. Why am I not hungry for him? Why, why do I not fight with all of my being to be in his presence all the time? If fasting is an expression for a, of a hunger for God, why don't I feel a need to do it? Why have I never felt a need to do it? It's like you look at the scriptures and you see like David writing in the Psalms. And he says things like, oh, as the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, Lord. When can I come and be with you? It's like David writes these beautiful poems, but like, it's like you see that cross stitch on a pillow. But like, if you think about the words, David is saying like, my spirit is without you. Like I'm dehydrated. When can I come and drink of living water again? He couldn't wait to get back into the presence of God. Like, why don't I feel like that more often? Why do I come to church and I just kind of sing some songs and hear a sermon and leave completely untransformed? Why don't I feel a deep hunger for the presence of God? And I have an answer for you today. It is because you are stuffed with good things and you have no appetite left for God. Some of the greatest enemies of your hunger for God is not evil and not sin, but rather his gifts. John Piper uh, wrote a book on fasting and prayer called A Hunger for God. I commend it to you. It's a wonderful book. And in it, he says this. If you don't feel strong desires for the manifestation of the glory of God, it is not because you have drunk deeply and are satisfied. It is because you have nibbled so long at the table of the world. Your soul is stuffed with small things, and there is no room for the great. Why don't you hunger for God? It is because you have pacified that hunger with something lesser. But you've just eaten so much of it that you no longer have an appetite for God. See, here's our danger. Remember, we were talking about drift, your natural drift. Our natural drift is towards loving the gift and not the giver. I mean, think, think about all of the gifts that he has given us to delight in. God has given us delicious food like a medium rare steak, perfectly seasoned. And a great glass of wine to go with it. And he's given you taste buds so that you can taste that. 
And God has given us in Estes Park sunsets, and not only sunsets, but mountains that the sun sets behind and it's beautiful. And he has given you eyes that can see it. God has given us music with ears that can hear and delight in its melodies. Do you see how good of a giver our God is? And yet the good gifts of God, if unchecked, can become pacifiers that keep us from delighting in the giver. We stuff ourselves with small things like food and sunsets and music and play and exercise, and we miss out on the full weight of the presence of God. Fasting, if you will do it, will test and reveal whether we have begun to love the gifts more than we love the giver. And here really lies the beauty of fasting, is that fasting rightly reorients our hearts around loving the giver more than his gifts, about preferring God and the presence of Christ than a full belly. It is about seeking a deeper satisfaction in Jesus than in food. And it's not only an expression of our hunger of God and need for God, but it acts as a catalyst towards a deeper hunger and satisfaction for God. So if you're sitting here and you're thinking, I don't feel a hunger for God. I feel no true desire to spend time in his word, to spend time in prayer. The most prayer I spend is 15 seconds before dinner where I say, thank you, God, for this food. And then I stuff my face. If you're in that boat, fasting is what you need to drain your body so that your soul can live. Fasting will remind you of what your greatest need is. And, and so under the umbrella of your need for Christ, both his presence and his power, I want to pinpoint with you four specific purposes to have in a God-centered fast. Uh, and the first one is fasting to intercede. That, that should be on your notes today. Um, in the book of Nehemiah, Nehemiah was cupbearer to a king who had enslaved him and the rest of Israel. And he hears word that Jerusalem had fallen, the city was in disarray, the wall had been broken down, their, their main line of defense. Uh, and for his people, Nehemiah wept and prayed and fasted. And because of his fast, God provided everything that he needed to rebuild the walls of the city. Now, that was not without difficulty, but God gave him everything that he needed and even blessing from this king who was really his slave owner before. A fast to intercede is fasting for your needs and your wants. It is, it is fasting and asking God and pleading with God to save your wayward child or your wayward spouse. It, it is pleading with the Lord that he would give you the child that you've been praying for for such a long time. Uh, it is fasting to, uh, to ask and plead with the Lord that he would heal somebody with an illness. Now, I want to clarify this. Like I said before, this kind of fast is not to twist God's arm into doing what you want him to do. 
Rather, it's every time you feel hungry, at every mealtime, uh, you are getting on your knees in prayer and meditation on the scripture, pushing into a deeper prayer life. And you pray fervently and you plead fervently with him. It's not a hunger strike to change God's mind. It's a fast to push you deeper into prayer and deeper into his presence. The second kind of fast I want to point out is a fast to seek guidance. We see this in the book of Acts, that the apostles and the early church fathers are together and they're fasting and praying. And it is during their fast that it says the Holy Spirit spoke to them. So I don't know how that happened, if they heard a voice or they all just collectively were given the same thought from the Holy Spirit. Don't know how that works, but it says that the Holy Spirit spoke to them, all of them, and told them to send out Paul and Barnabas for a missionary journey. A fast to seek guidance is when you hit that fork in the road. You don't know what, quite what to do yet. The future is murky. Both options look good, or all three options, or all four options look good. And you just don't quite know where the Lord wants you to be. And it is in the context of fasting and praying and seeking the Lord's voice that the Holy Spirit tends to speak. Now, I'm not going to put words in God's mouth and say that he will speak to you, because he might not. But when we fast to seek guidance, I... I I err on the side of graciousness, and I believe that God speaks to his people when we get before him in earnestness. This is fasting with the intent of hearing from God in such a way that will bring you clarity, wisdom, and direction. The third kind of fast is a fast to fight sin. Now, going back to this, the idea of holiness, um, fighting and killing your sin is essential. Now, I see lots of Christians who kind of play with their sin, right? Like it's a house cat. In reality, it's a lion and it's trying to devour you. It does not care for you. Your sin will not play games with you. It seeks to destroy you. It is not to be played with. In fact, in Romans chapter 8, verse 13, it says this, for if you live according to the flesh, you will die. That's the enemy. That is the sin in you trying to destroy you, to rob you of the joy of Christ, to disqualify you in the race. And a fast like this is to target a specific sin issue that you are yet to overcome. And by fasting and faith, put it to death by the Spirit. Uh, Pastor Matt Chandler in, in Dallas, Texas says it this way. He says, fasting gives you a shot of power. Which I like that. Gives you a shot of power in your fight against sin. You know, there's this really interesting story in the New Testament. Uh, Jesus had commissioned the 72 disciples, sent them out, and they were out, they were casting out demons and healing people, and they're, they're really jazzed and excited about it. And then they encountered this one particular demon uh, who, who demonized this young boy who'd throw himself on the fire and was very self-destructive. Um, and they went and they thought they had the business and they just could not cast this demon out. And so Jesus rolls up on the scene and he's like, oh, what's the problem? Oh, this guy won't come out. Get out of there. And so he, he essentially tells the demon to knock it off. And he does. And it's not like a loud screech and it's not a fight. It's like he's just gone. The, the demon just departs. And so the disciples are confused by this. They say, well, why couldn't we cast out this demon? We were successful before. Why not this one? And Jesus says this. Because this kind only comes out through prayer and fasting. So there are uh, 
uh, evil, sinful desires and passions that I believe can only be rooted out of us through faith and fasting. And pleading with the Lord to by the Spirit help me put this to death. Because here's the reality is that sin lives in you. Your soul has been made new. You've been forgiven fully, freely, and forever by the blood of Christ. Like Jesus knew what he was paying for on the cross. He knew the sin that you were going to fall into uh, this afternoon. He knows the sin that you're going to fall into 10 years from now. He knew what he was buying on the cross. He knew what his purchase was. He doesn't want to return. He has purchased you and forgiven you and given you a new spirit. The book of Romans says that he has condemned sin in the flesh. So until you're free of this flesh, your spirit and your body are at war with each other. Because the spirit wants the things of God. And yet we are trapped in this flesh monster that just wants sin. And so uh, John Owens, who uh, wrote a book called Mortification of Sin back, I think, in the 1700s, said this. Be killing sin or sin will be killing you. This type of fast, fighting sin, is to nurture the spirit to be stronger than the compulsions of the flesh. Okay, so it's not about white-knuckled discipline, like, oh, I can do this on my own. No, this kind of fast is about yielding and nurturing the spirit that is within you so that it will be stronger than the compulsions of your flesh. If you can... Here's my promise. If you can, by the Spirit, train yourself to deny your body food, which is good and necessary for your health, then you can train yourself by the Spirit to say no to sin, which is evil and is actively trying to destroy you. This is fighting for holiness. This is what it looks like, church. It looks like taking your sin seriously, taking your holiness seriously, and not playing with your sin anymore, not being satisfied that it's, oh, well, this addiction that I've been experiencing, I've been addicted to porn for 15 years, but I, and I just can't get away from it. it. It's about not being satisfied with that. And maybe you've tried it all. Maybe you, you've got, you got sight blockers for yourself, and that didn't work because I found a way around it. And you found accountability partners, but eventually you just stopped telling them when you fell into sin again. Or, or maybe your issue is with uh, alcohol and you just overdrink all the time. And yet you still find yourself going back to the bottle every night. And you're just kind of satisfied with it. You're okay with it. God will forgive me in the morning. If you want to be holy, you have to take your sin seriously and understand that it seeks to destroy you. It's not on your side. And so by any means, by prayer and fasting, it can be removed from you. But we have to commit it to the Lord first. Now, this one's not on your notes, so it's just a bonus for you. Fast to expose your heart. When Jesus was in the wilderness, okay, so Jesus comes on the scene, he is baptized by John the Baptizer, who we had a series on earlier this year. That was a lot of fun to preach. And then the, the Gospel of Mark 
talks about how the spirit drove Jesus out into the wilderness, which is like in Greek, it's like this violent term. It's like he got tossed or he like got bounced into the wilderness. It's like the spirit just tossed him into the wilderness to be tempted. And so for 40 days before being tempted, he fasted, which uh, I, I recently did a fast and it, it was only a couple days and that was hard. So I can't imagine being just kind of at the end of myself, being so, you know, thin and without food and nourishment and just, I mean, I just imagine like crawling on the ground. And it's when Jesus is at his physical weakness, and I would say his weakest, that Satan comes and tempts him with bread. For you and I, man, I, I'll tell you this, I fasted for two days. And I, I, I sinned in the first one. I, I sinned on the first day. I lost my patience. I, I became angry in an unrighteous way. And Jesus fasted for 40 days. And when the enemy came and tempted him, what came out? But the word of God. I don't need that bread. I have better bread. I don't live on bread alone. I live on every word that comes from the mouth of the Father. I don't need that bread. His fasting exposed the holiness that was truly in him. See, our fasting, when we are at our weakest points, exposes what's actually inside. When you are hungry, what comes out? See, we, we made up a cute little phrase for this. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Hangry? Y'all know what I'm talking about? We say that we're hangry. And it's like this kind of like cute throwaway term that we use to describe like a deep boiling rage that comes out of us when we're hungry. And it's like, we joke, oh, my wife is just hangry. I need to get her some Chick-fil-A or whatever. And it's like, we, we say that we're angry because we're hungry. Could it be that you're just angry because you have a spirit of anger in you? And your hunger is just exposing it. Fasting brings us down to our bare bones, to the depths of who we are. And when we get squeezed, something's coming out. <laughs> And we're going to see the real us. And, and so in my, the recent fast that I did, because I wanted to have fresh eyes and fresh perspective on fasting so that I could give it, share it with all of you. I found in myself a great deal of impatience. Now, typically, I feel like I have things kind of put together. I don't like, like blow my pot or anything like that. Like I don't blow up and start yelling at people when they're, you know, I, I get a little frustrated on the road when people want to look at elk, but other than that, like, I feel like I, I keep things pretty tethered to the chest. But I found in the, in the, in the days that I fasted, I, I saw in myself a greater impatience with my daughter uh, in, in a, a short fuse that was easy to set off with anybody. My fast exposed my heart. And it gave me things to work on with the Holy Spirit. So not only does it expose the evil in you, but fasting also exposes the things that you run to to pacify yourself. Like those good things that God has given us that we begin to prefer above God. Right? So it's like when you're hungry and you're fasting, here's what you're supposed to be doing. You're supposed to be praying, reading scripture, meditating on the word, spending time in God's presence. It's like when you get hungry, you go to prayer. 
during meal times, you're reading the word, right? It's, it's supplementing your food with spiritual food. But when you're hungry and you're fasting, you will be tempted to do other things. You will be tempted to go to bed early so that you just don't have to be hungry anymore. You will be tempted to scroll on your phone for hours or watch, binge watch a TV show because at least it's distracting me from my hunger. Fasting will expose what you run to to pacify your real hunger for God. So when you're hungry, what do you run to? If you can't have food, do you run to TV or social media or sleep or exercise or play? These are things that are being exposed that we are finding satisfaction in above God. And so these are the four areas that I want to encourage you to begin to press into. Uh, This week, all of your next steps fasting. Wouldn't you know it, right? Mm-hmm. Sermon on fasting, I want you to fast. But I want to give you some instructions for how to fast properly. And the first thing that you need to do, if you're going to fast in a way that honors God and pushes you into the presence of Jesus, is first you need to have a purpose. If you do not have a purpose, you're fast is worthless. It's, it's just a diet. So pick one of those four that we just covered, whether it is you have sin that you need to fight. If, if you don't have anything to intercede for or anybody to intercede for, and there's no decision that you have to make, no clarity that you're seeking to gain, then you don't, you can still fight sin, all right? And even if if you feel like you have no sin to fight, then maybe you need to do the last one, which exposes your heart, and we'll show you an area where you need to fight some sin. But you need to have a purpose. And I guarantee all of us have decisions that we have to make. We all have people that we know that don't know the Lord, that are apart from Him. The wrath of God remains yet upon them, and they need salvation in Christ. I know all of us have sin that we need to fight. And maybe we're just blind to the sin that is deeply rooted in our hearts and it just needs to be exposed and come out. But I want to encourage you, have a purpose as you enter a fast. The second thing that you need to have to have a God-centered, Christ-pursuing fast is you need to have a plan, which includes what you're fasting from. So typically, fasting involves abstaining from food. But for you, you might need to do something else. Like, I know a lot of people have uh, are diabetic, need food. If you're pregnant, you need food. Um, you know, there's, there's all sorts of reasons that um, you can kind of reason your way out of fasting. But food is not the only thing that you can fast from. You can fast from TV, social media. You know, the three hours that you spend at night binge-watching Netflix. What if you fasted from that? And in fasting, using the time that you would spend in front of the TV before the word of God and let it shape you. So you need to have a plan of what you're fasting from, your time frame. Uh, So uh, I think the longest fast I've ever done was about a a week. And that was after I had done it several times. I don't encourage you to go straight to a a week of fasting. Um, But ease yourself in if you've never fasted before. Fast from one meal this week. Just one. 
and spend your, your 30 minutes or your hour-long lunch break seeking the Lord in prayer and meditation on his word. And so you need to have a time frame. I'm, I'm going to fast from Tuesday until Thursday evening at 8 o'clock, okay? Uh, and then you need to have a plan of what you're going to do in place of eating. Instead of eating, what are, what are we doing? Because again, if you are fasting without prayer and scripture, you're just on a diet. It serves no spiritual purpose, no spiritual benefit. It will not bring you closer to the Lord. It will not draw you into his presence. You'll just be hungry. So you need to decide, what am I going to do? At lunchtime, I'm going to be reading my word. At dinner time, I'm going to spend those 30 minutes that I normally would around the dinner table. And I'm going to be on my knees in my bedroom in prayer. And the last thing that you need to do to fast in a God-centered way is to let your hunger serve your purpose. So the whole point of a fast is that when you are hungry, your hunger is serving a spiritual need instead of you just serving your stomach. It is breaking away from, from constantly bowing down to the needs of the body and using your hunger to, to redirect this energy and redirect this time and redirect this passion towards being in the presence of Jesus. So, what this means is at mealtimes, when your stomach is rumbling and you want food, it is not time to pull out your phone or your watch and ask how much longer do I have? Your hunger is meant to be used to push you deeper into his presence by means of prayer and scripture and worship. Fasting without practices of God's presence is just a diet that's not what God wants for you. And so, church, let me encourage you this morning. There's a passage that I love out of Romans 8, which is my favorite chapter in the Bible, which is a little bit why that's one of the next steps that's available to you this week. In Romans chapter 8, verse 5, it says this, For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. Fasting this week for whatever reason or purpose you have, is to set your mind on the things of the Spirit. To deny your body so that your spirit can live. And if you do this, I, I promise you, if you, you really hold to it and discipline yourself to do it the right way, you will find a deeper communion and fellowship in the presence of God. Hey, I'll, I'll tell you this from my recent fast. It's so funny how God works. Um, when I broke my fast at 8 o'clock, I had a Chipotle burrito in the fridge. <laughs> you know, one, it's just about as big as like a newborn baby. And... <laughs> You put it in the oven, and I'm just, I'm just waiting, and I'm like, Lord, thank you for sustaining me. Thank you for bringing me through this fast. Thank you for, um, for all of the benefits that you brought with it. I felt like my prayer life got better. I felt uh, the things that normally I would just get kind of pissed off about and angry about, um, I, I 
began bringing those things to the Lord where normally I would just be mad about it. But then when I got my baby-sized burrito out of the oven, and I unwrapped it, and I took a bite, it was like, oh, thank you, Lord, for the, the taste buds that you've given. Thank you for the steak and, and these tomatoes in here and this salsa. It's so good. And then I took another bite, and I was like, oh, Lord, thank you for the rice and for the beans. And it was like, you know how we, like, we come around the dinner table, and we thank God once before we eat together? It was like through my fasting and prayer, God opened my eyes to how good he was in that burrito. <laughs> it's like, it wasn't just saying thank you at the beginning. It was a continual thanksgiving that God laid on my heart. Where it was like every bite was a reason to praise him. And I, I think, I, I have to believe this is one of the reasons that God has given us the gift of fasting. Because Paul says, food's not bad, but receive it with thanksgiving. And this is the beauty of fasting. It helps us fight for our holiness. It makes us more like Jesus. And it draws us into a deeper love for the giver, not just the gift. So let me pray for you and we'll close our service today. Father, I thank you for the gift of going without food, as crazy as that sounds and as difficult as it is. But Lord, I know that it is through this discipline that we find a deeper satisfaction in you. Where we resolve in ourselves to say, uh, you are my portion, you are the bread of life. This other bread doesn't measure up. So Lord, I pray that each person in this church will choose to fast in some way, shape or form. And Lord, I know that they will find a feast in your presence. So Lord, help, help us, your people, to be with you, to, to be drawn into the presence of Jesus. Lord, as we long for you to, to return, but Lord, in your absence, Lord, may we find your presence in an empty stomach, but a rich prayer life and rich time and meditation on your word. Lord, I pray that you would be our bread that our stomachs would not be our God, that you would be our God. And that we would learn through fasting to choose you and to need you and to desire you above all else. Lord, we love you and we thank you. It's in Jesus' beautiful name we pray. Amen.